Amen. We ask the Lord to speak. Speak, O Lord. We we are listening. We are here, ready to learn, ready to hear, um, ready to take in what you would have to say to us this morning. Um, But the only way that we can hear God speak is through his word, right? That's the only way that we can hear him speak to us. And his words are unchanging. His words have um, always been eternal, always will be eternal, never will pass away. And so as we ask, God, please speak, speak, O Lord, um, we open God's word to hear him answer. Um, So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we come to the end of our summer series. We have been going through the parables of our Savior, and this has been a rich summer, even as we talked a little bit this morning in Family Bible Hour. I've so enjoyed our time with the Master Storyteller. I've learned so much from him. We've looked at many parables. We've looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the workers brought in at different times during the day, but being paid the same amount. We looked at parables of the two debtors owing different amounts, but both being forgiven. We looked at persistently praying in light of the return of Christ. We looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant. We looked at the growth of the kingdom. And and last week, we looked at the invitation to the wedding feast. And all of these parables together, as we talked about this morning in Family Bible, have just been devastating to our sense of entitlement They have encouraged our understanding, they've grown our understanding of grace. They've been so humbling, and we'll talk about that and and how the the theme of this summer has really been uh, God's grace humbling us and devastating our pride and sense of entitlement, and uh, we'll talk about that next Sunday as to where we're going with our small groups um, studying humility. But we began this summer looking at the reasons why Jesus spoke in parables. You remember why he began speaking in parables. He said that while hearing, people were not hearing. While listening to him, they were not truly listening. They were not doing the things that Jesus told them to do. And therefore, he wanted to conceal the truth so that those who were hearing and truly hearing would ponder the statements Jesus was making in parables, press into those parables, seek the truth, find the truth, and be able to live accordingly. And those that were hearing without hearing would just hear a crazy story and say, I'm going to move on. Remember, it was judgment, but it was also grace, right? God was not giving them anything more that they were going to be held accountable for. So here we come to the end of our study, and and I want to challenge our own hearts and ask the question, are we hearing and truly hearing? I want to ask our Lord, what does it look like to truly hear? And how do I know when I have truly heard? We don't want to be those who hear without hearing or see without seeing. We want to be those who hear while hearing. How do we know? I think that Jesus will give us this final parable for the summer to help us understand how we know if we have truly heard his words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown in the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name we cast out demons and in your name we perform many miracles? But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house. But it didn't fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Father, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we realize that there is uh, seriousness in these words. There's There's a sobriety that we need to have as we come to these words because These words tell us that there will be some on the last day who are self-deceived. They think that they are saved when in fact they are not. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus said that there is a, a wide road, many find it, and it leads to destruction. And there is a narrow road, and few find it, and it leads to eternal life. And so we know that it's a difficult thing to walk the narrow road, and few find it. Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us this morning and show us our own hearts. If there are any in this room that are self-deceived, that this morning your word would convict, would challenge, would be clear, and that true salvation would come in this room to souls today. God, I pray for those that are truly saved, but would have a tendency to hear a sermon like this from Jesus' own lips and and feel condemned. God, I pray that you would guard hearts that are truly saved from a sense of condemnation because if they're in Christ, Romans 8, there is no condemnation. Um, So Father, I I pray two things that I, I pray every Sunday. May your Spirit grant us eyes to see, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your Word. And may your Spirit enable those who hear this sermon to hear a better message than I preach. May your Spirit clarify, confirm, convict, and comfort. God, we trust in you. Speak to us now through your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, a very simple story to builders, a very shocking message. This story is simple enough that a child could understand it, and it's so profound that we couldn't truly get to the bottom of it this morning. It is timeless. Everybody understands this parable. There's no sense of needing to f- figure out the context here as far as what Jesus is speaking about. No, it's, it's clear. There's a builder, there's a foundation, there's a builder, there's no foundation. Obviously, one is going to stand. 
But we need to set it in its context in this sermon, right? This sermon gives us an understanding of what this ending, this is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we do need to do a little bit of background work, and then we'll stare at the builders. So those are just going to be our two points this morning. We'll look at the background, we'll look at the builders. Background, this is the very, very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. The entire sermon is Jesus challenging the religious system that we can't earn our way to heaven. If we want to earn our way to heaven, we have to be perfect. If if you want to get to heaven on your own, you need to be sinless, which none of us can be. So Jesus lays out what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom and not a religious citizen of a false kingdom. He starts with the Beatitudes. He talks about living in light of the the world, living as lights to the world. gets to the heart of a sin problem, that that it's not just murder is wrong. It's the anger in your heart towards somebody is equal to murder uh, on an inward level. talks about loving your enemies, giving, praying, fasting. Don't be anxious about anything. Judge others rightly. Persist in prayer. And it's a very hard road to do this. And then he, he ends, in verse 15, he ends with two reasons why it's challenging to be a citizen of the kingdom. And the two reasons it's hard to enter the narrow gate is because of false prophets and false professions. Verses 15 through 20, there are false prophets. You're going to be deceived by others, and that makes it difficult to enter the narrow gate, the narrow road. But you can also be deceived by yourself. Verses 21 through 23, so false prophets, false professions. And within the false professions, there are people who say that they do things, but they actually don't do them. And there are people that hear, but they don't do what they have been told to do. The first group says and does not do. The second group hears and does not do. They have head knowledge, but they have an empty heart. They have full heads, empty hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus has been warning us all along. Be hearers, and not just hearers only, but doers. Hear while truly hearing. So in this sermon, Jesus, as he, as he ends the sermon, he's been going through telling everyone who is hearing him there is a religious system that's broken. They sure look good. They have built a huge tower but has no foundation. The false leaders, the false prophets, the religious leaders at the time had set up, as it were, a real estate office, and they're, se- they'll, they're selling lots of sand, sand lots, if you will. They're selling sand lots to people and saying, build upon the sand and you'll be good to go. And, and Jesus says, no, this is not going to work. He's tearing down their religious system brick by brick, and then he's asking us at the end of the sermon, how are you going to build? How are you going to build? So he gives us a warning of self-deception in verses 21 through 23, and then he gives us a parable that illustrates that warning in verses 24 through 27. So that's the background. Now let's look at the builders. Very, very simply, there there are two builders. There's a wise man, a foolish man, and they're building somewhere probably in a valley. Um, Israel's land is, uh, their land and their climate is similar to Southern California. Um, It's usually hot. Uh, Very rarely does it rain, but when it rains, it pours, and there are flash flood warnings. When I was in Israel, we were driving from Jerusalem down to uh, make our way over to Egypt, and as we were driving down, we were going through uh, a place that is normally just desert, and there was rainy season at that point, and so there was rain coming, and we were driving, and as we were driving, you could see it begin to rain, and then all of a sudden, 
flash floods came. We were in this old bus van thing that had those windows at the top that you kind of slide open. And these flash floods just started coming and pounding against our van. We just had to stop. And me wanting to document this, I opened the, the van window and I stuck my camera. I didn't have a phone that had a camera. I stuck my camera out, took a video. Look at this. It's crazy. And the driver yelled back and said, close your window. We could be underwater soon. What? Excuse me. We could be underwater? Like, the water's going to get all the way. It was already past the tires, but there's no way. He said, yeah, there's a flash flood coming, and, and this could sink our van, a big bus. That's exactly what would happen back in the day here for Jesus. In his time, Israel is like this. There are these deep valleys that typically, throughout the, the season, and, and even for years, there's no big storm, no flash floods, but every once in a while, there's a huge flood that comes the wise man knows this. So we have two builders. The wise builder, the word wise in verse 24, a wise man is a word that means somebody who has understanding, has insight, thoughtful, patient, plans. He knows that rains could come, that storms have come in the past, so he digs down deep, as Luke 6 will tell us, and we'll look at that in a few moments. And then we have a foolish man. The word for fool in verse 26 uh, he's like a foolish man. That word you know in the Greek, it's moros, where we get moron from. Somebody who lacks understanding and insight. And all he does is build his house on the surface. He takes no time to dig down. So the wise man builds on the rock. The word rock there in the Greek, uh, petra. Uh, petra is a rock bed, a foundation, a huge foundation stone underneath the soil. There's a word in the Greek, petros, um, that means a, a stone or sometimes a, a little pebble, sometimes a boulder, depending on the context. You remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, you are, his, his name is Simon, and he says, I call you petros. You are now Peter, petros. You are a stone. You're a little stone. And upon that rock, the rock of your confession, that you declare Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the King, he's the Son of God, upon that Petra, I will build my kingdom, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So here we have Petra, we have a, a big foundation stone, bedrock underneath the soil. The word for sand that the foolish man builds on is the word aman. Aman just means sand or seashore sand, sand by the seashore. If you have been to Jordan, you know that there's two cities. There's Petra and there's Amman. Petra is that city that's built all out of stone. It's built into stone. It's the beautiful building at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where he walks through that valley and he comes out and he sees that facade of beautiful stone. That's Petra. That's one part of Petra. Naturally, I figured that it's Hollywood, so it has to be true, right? So I, when I went to Petra, when I walked into that stone face, I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to go inside. There's going to be a little valley where the penitent man shall pass, and this will be awesome. And, and you can step like six feet into it, and they lied to me, and you have to walk back out. And it's just, it was an old banking place. There's Amon Jordan. Amon Jordan is just a bunch of dirt and sand. So these, these two words are still in use today to speak of bedrock that will never move and sand that can get blown away by the wind. We have two builders. William Hendrickson says, both men are builders because to live 
means to build. If you are alive, you are building. Every ambition a man cherishes, every thought he conceives, every word he speaks, every deed he performs is, as it were, a building block, and gradually the structure of every life rises. We are all builders. We're building. The question is, how are we building? We are all hearers. We are hearing. The question is, how are we hearing? So, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, because of what I just said, there are false prophets, there are false professions, there are people that hear that call me Lord, Lord, but they're not truly saved. Let me dive deeper into that issue. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who builds on the rock. A storm comes, but it doesn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The storm comes, but it falls because it wasn't built on the rock. So this is what I want to do this morning. This is simple. This, ha- this needs no explanation whatsoever. It's clear. But what I want to do is I just want to observe with you the similarities and the differences between these two builders. Similarities and differences. There are six similarities that I see and there are two enormous differences that I see. Similarities. Number one, both men attach themselves to Christ. Both attach themselves to Christ. This is not a non-believer, a professing non-believer who says, I I want nothing to do with Christ. No, these are two people that identically say, I want him to be my Lord. I want to follow him. Um, Turn to Luke chapter 6, just really quickly. Luke chapter 6 is the parallel passage here after the Beatitudes. Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? These people are calling him Lord. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. But notice both of them are calling Jesus Lord. So they both attach themselves to Christ somehow. In verse 47 of Luke 6, they both come and they hear Jesus' words. They're followers of Christ. Number two, both builders hear the true gospel from Jesus himself. They both build a house based on the gospel that they've heard. They're both involved in spiritual activities. They're both framing some kind of spiritual value system. They're building together. They're building houses. Number three, both make a profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. Both make a profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. So we have both men are attached to Jesus. Both men hear the true gospel. Both men make a profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. Again, Luke chapter 6, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? So these are not out-and-out rejectors of Christ. These are professing believers. They both understand the facts of the gospel. They both agree that they're true, but saving faith is more than that. Remember, we've talked before about the way the Puritans used to speak of this, that there are three aspects involved in saving faith. There's notitia. You have to know the facts about the gospel. You have to know things in order to be able to then a census, have a mental assent to say, I agree that those facts are true. So you have to have knowledge. You have to agree that those facts are true. But then the last step is fiducia. You have to have faith and build your life on the, the fact that those facts are true. 
You have to follow Christ. Whatever those facts are telling you are true, you have to submit to those facts and um, build your life around those facts. You have to trust in the person and work of Jesus and follow him in obedience. Both of these people speak of following Jesus as Lord. Both of these builders talk. Charles Spurgeon says that talking without practice is a temptation that we struggle with. He says it this way, the common temptation is instead of really repenting, we talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, we say we believe without believing. Instead of truly loving, we talk of love. Instead of coming to Christ and following Him, we speak about following Him. These two builders are both speaking of following Christ. One just talks, and one, one does something about it. Number four, both hear and enjoy listening to Jesus. Both hear and enjoy listening to Jesus. They are not like the, the followers of Christ in John 6, who hear the hard words and say, we don't want any more of this, and walk away. No, they hear hard words and they say, we want more, give us more. You're an amazing teacher. It's important to note that these words are not spoken. As Jesus is telling this little parable, they're not spoken to people who rebelled against Christ's teaching at all. They're spoken to people who listened to Christ's teaching and made professions of faith in Christ's teaching. Number five, both builders built Christian lives that looked the same externally. Both built Christian lives that looked the same externally. They both look the same externally. In fact, the foundation is probably so far underground that if you look at both houses, you would not be able to tell which is which. You'd have to dig down a little bit. You'd have to unearth some parts of the house to see there's a foundation under it. They both look externally identical. This is telling us that the difference between a true and false disciple is not always easy to spot. Many people, like the foolish builder, live lives that have a magnificent display sometimes even admired by others, but they have no foundation. These two builders, the way that Jesus describes them, are probably in the same valley, maybe even next door to one another. Identical houses with very different foundations. One of the lives is a facade. John Stott says it this way, uh, professing Christians, both the genuine and the spurious, often look alike. You cannot easily tell which is which. Both appear to be building Christian lives. Both are members of the visible Christian community. Both read the Bible. Both go to church. They listen to sermons, and they buy Christian literature. The reason that you cannot tell the difference between them is that the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from view. The real question is not whether they hear Christ's teaching, nor even whether they respect or believe it, but whether they do what they hear. Neither an intellectual knowledge of him nor a verbal profession, though both essential in themselves, can ever be a substitute for obedience. The question is not whether we say nice, polite, orthodox, enthusiastic things to or about Jesus, nor whether we hear his words, listening, studying, pondering, and memorizing until our minds are stuffed with his teaching, but whether we do what we say and do what we know in other words, whether the lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is one of the major realities of our life. They look the same, but inwardly they're very different. Finally, number six, the real nature of both men's lives 
will be revealed at the judgment. This is the last similarity. The real nature of both men's lives, the real nature of their house, will be revealed one day. It will be revealed. It is revealed. The storms come. Now, there's probably two aspects to the storm, maybe storms of this life, and then judgment. I would, I would lean more towards this is primarily judgment at the final judgment seat of Christ, but we know, parable of the soils, Matthew 13, that the suffering, affliction of this life can also be a storm that chokes out the Word. So, so we know that they both work. But here's what I want you to note. No amount of building on the rock kept the storms away. No amount of building on the rock made the storms go away. The strongest rock did not ward off the rains. Confessing Christ and building on Him is not a force field against trouble. So many people think, I'm going to become a Christian so that my life will be easier, life will go better. We even hear that, that preached that way, that message preached. Sometimes I hear sermons or I read books or articles by preachers and pastors who make it sound like the Christian life, once you come to Christ, is easy. I read my Bible and I see the disciples in a boat with Jesus and they think that they're going to die. They're in a hurricane. They're afraid for their lives. That's what Christian, the Christian walk looks like. And yet so, so often today, preachers, they, instead of being in a boat with Jesus in the Sea of Galilee in a hurricane thinking I'm going to die, they make it seem like we're in a, the boat and it's a small world. Like come follow Jesus and you'll jump into a boat and you'll just go around this little circle and there's, it's just easy, right? You don't even go a quarter of a mile an hour. You just barely meander along. Follow Jesus. It'll be all nice and happy. The worst thing that will ever happen to you is you'll get stuck in a long line of 32 boats waiting to get out. And you'll have this little Swedish person singing in your ear. It's a small world. And then maybe every once in a while you get bumped from behind when there's a boat behind you that just smacks you. And that's the, that's the hardest life ever gets. Notice that both builders receive the storms. Both do. Becoming a Christian does not make life easier. In fact, I believe the Bible tells us trouble seems to grow as you become a believer. Just ask the Apostle Paul, was your life easier or harder once you got saved, once you became a Christian? He had never been to prison before he came to Christ. But in the midst of life storms, if we have been built on the rock, we know that even if a storm kills us, we will live. Even if the storm kills us, we're going to be okay. So I, I do think that there's an aspect that in our everyday lives, these storms can be trials, suffering, difficulty, and I think it would be good to explain that from this text. But I think probably what Jesus is referring to, even more so than the storms of this life, is the final judgment. And Jesus had been talking about future judgment. In the Old Testament, there are many pictures of a storm coming as the final judgment that God's going to bring about. But just know that building your life on Jesus does not mean that you will be safe away from the storms. You're going to be safe in the midst of the storms. Those are the six similarities there's only two differences. There's a different foundation and there's a different destiny. There's a different foundation and there's a different destiny. A different foundation. Why? 
Why are there different foundations here? Why would one man build the way he built his house? Why is the fool building the way he's building? Why? Because it takes a lot of work to build this way. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. Your arms are tired. Your back is tired. Fools just want to cut corners. They're always in a hurry. They make haste. Sometimes as you're digging down, getting close to the rock, the soil becomes like cement. You need a jackhammer to get down into it, and they don't want to do that. Sometimes when you talk with other people who profess faith in Jesus, and they talk about the Word of God revealing things in their own heart, they don't want to, they don't want to dive into their heart. The Word is like a jackhammer going into their soul, and it's breaking things up and revealing things, and they just they don't want it. I don't want to deal with my own heart. We typically don't like asking those difficult questions, whether it's through the preaching of God's Word, whether it's through devotions, whether it's through speaking into each other's lives. The fool says, I don't want it. I'm good. I'm fine. Let me just work on the externals. Don't worry about what's inside. They don't want to build because it's hard. They don't want to build on the rock because it's difficult work. I think another reason why fools don't want to build on the rock is if you take the storms to be storms of this life, which I think that there's an aspect where they are, again, Matthew 13 would tell us that, fools know that their house has been destroyed before. They know I have, I've built my life around money, and I have found my satisfaction in my money, and then the storm of a stock market crash has ruined everything that I have, and I have to rebuild and start all over with something else. They know there is no house that they can build that will ultimately stand the storms of this life. So they figured, you know what, it's going to get blown over anyway. Let's just keep building it really easy, nice and easy. When it flattens out, we'll go to another place. Why spend time on it when I have seen the houses that I've built on satisfaction of earthly things just get blown over? I'm just going to keep on building. Just easy. But the wise man is not in a hurry. Gives maximum effort digs down deep, Luke chapter 6, verse 47 and 48 says, not afraid to dig into his heart, not afraid to dive down deep into the recesses and corners of his heart and builds on the foundation, knows I want to build once and I want a building that will last for all of eternity. If, if this life is all we have, then, then we should totally live for the bread of this world, right? We should totally live for the bread that satisfies. But if this life is not all that we have, if there is another life to come, then we should enjoy the bread of this world, but then we should build on something else, right? The, every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's build on that. That's what this man does. I just want to build once. I don't want to build a second time. And he builds on the rock. A wise man builds his house on the rock. What is the rock? What is this foundation? The, this is the difference. There's a different foundation. What's the difference? What's the foundation that this man builds on? What is the rock? Let's start big and Get smaller and more specific. The rock is God. Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my refuge in the day of trouble. The Lord is my rock. So God is our rock. But the Pharisees would be able to say that just fine, right? Pharisees would be able to preach and quote the Old Testament. God is our rock. So it's a little bit deeper than that. The rock is Christ, the second person of the Trinity. The rock is Christ. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus is the chief cornerstone that we are built on. Matthew 16, verse 18, the, the confession that Peter gives of 
you are the Christ. That is what the church will be built on. So the rock is Christ. But Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine. So now we can go a step deeper. So we've got the rock is God, the rock is Christ. The rock is actually Jesus' words. They're his very words. But Jesus clarifies it one step further. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Literally in the Greek. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doing them can be compared to a wise man who built on a rock. So the rock is obedience to the word of God. The rock that the wise man builds on is obedience to the word of God. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 30. As for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, they speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now, hear what the message is from the Lord. Come, I want to hear God address us. They come to you as people. Come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their own grain." Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. That's the fool. Hears the words of God, says those are good, those are true, those are right, but does not do them. True disciples hear the words of God and do them. Let me give you just a couple verses. You can write these down. I'll just quote them for you. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So God's word builds you up and gives you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So it's God's word who builds you up. It's the foundation and it's the thing that builds you up. John chapter 8, verse 30, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciple. Obedience is proof that you are truly saved. James chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. If you continue, you prove that you're truly saved. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Titus chapter 1, verse 16, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So the wise man builds his life upon obedience to what God has said. Now, this begs the question, does that mean that only those who are perfectly obeying God are truly saved? And I just want to be very clear. This passage is not saying that true believers always keep God's word or always keep his commands. In fact, earlier in this passage, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, every day you're going to have to ask, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us what we have done wrong every day. So Jesus is not saying that you are going to be perfect every single day. We're not talking about a sin. We're talking about a pattern of living. We're talking about a sinful pattern of rebellion against God, not doing what God has said 
for you to do. A true believer's life is marked by a pattern of submission in your heart that plays itself out in your life to Jesus and his teaching. A pattern. So, the foundation that distinguishes a genuine Christian from a false Christian is not saying that Jesus is Lord. It's not having right doctrine because these people did both of those. It's not having spiritual zeal. It's not being fervent. It's not being uh, serving in a ministry. It's not listening to Jesus' words. The foundation is a heart that bows completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You must hear his words and consistently seek to do them. That's the foundation. The foundation is a heart that bows completely to the Lordship of Christ. So the sand, where the foolish man builds, is when a false disciple hears the words of God but doesn't do what God tells them to do. And the rock is when a disciple hears and does what Jesus has commanded. And inevitably you get into the question of, wait, which is coming first? Is it my obedience that that shows God I'm worthy of being saved? Or is it my faith that comes first? What's happening here? No, we're not saved by our, our obedience. But where there is genuine salvation, there will be obedience. We are not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. But faith gets to work. We know that saved people work. Saved people are motivated to live lives differently than they've ever lived before because their master has called them by name, has taken over their will and their life. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't even live any longer. Jesus lives in me. So the slave of Christ keeps plugging away, keeps working hard, keeps building and gets calluses on his hands as he's building on the word of God, knowing that as he's building, his master is building a mansion for him in heaven. Keep on working, not because your work gets you to God. It's not our hard work that saves us. It's Jesus' hard work on our behalf that saves us. But once we know that we have been bought with a price and we are not our own, we want to glorify God. We want to glorify God. What this passage tells me is that you can apparently do a whole lot of stuff in Jesus' name that has no real connection to his work at all. You can do a whole lot of spiritual Jesus things that have no real connection to Jesus himself. We don't want to serve up a bunch of good works without serving Christ, who is the basis for the good works that we walk in anyway. Just like last week, if we're attempting to enter the wedding feast in our own righteousness, look at my own good works We're going to be rejected. We're building on sand. We need Jesus' good works to be our wedding garment, and then we get to work as hard as we can for the Lord, knowing that we're saved. So there are different foundations. One hears the words of God and says, I don't care to do them, and one hears and says, I need to start living that way. The second difference is the different destiny. The different destinies. The day of reckoning comes, and it's obvious which house is built on what. Jesus describes this constantly. There are wheat and tares. There are sheep and goats. Judgment will come. Psalm chapter 1, the wicked will never stand in the judgment. The way of the wicked will perish. But the way of the righteous stands forever. D.A. Carson says the sermon ends, the Sermon on the Mount ends with what has been implicit throughout it, which is the demand for radical submission to the exclusive lordship of Jesus. He's been presenting all along what kind of life looks uh, like it's being built on the, on the rock. What, if you're trying to build your life on the rock, what does it look like? He described it in the entire sermon. 
It looks like a biblical view towards self, the Beatitudes. It looks like a biblical attitude toward the world, trying to be light in the world. It's a biblical attitude towards the Word of God, not changing it or altering it, but living according to it. And if you could say today that your life is committed to obeying these words, then you're building on the rock. As Spurgeon said, you cannot have Christ for your Savior unless you have Him as your Lord. We cannot have Christ without having Christ's teaching. Remember, this is a very simple story, but it has a shocking message. And that's why verse 28, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. That word amazed is uh, struck out of themselves. In our vernacular, this blew their minds. They They didn't know what to do with this. This is amazing. He's teaching with authority, and he has authority over us this morning to say, you need to build on the rock. You need to build a life of obedience on the Word of God. So how do we wrap this sermon up, and how do we wrap this sermon series up? Let's say it this way. Coming to church, hearing the Word of God, it's like a brick is being given to you. Sometimes if it's just an amazing message that God is truly speaking to your soul Maybe it's a foundation stone. Maybe it's a wheelbarrow full of bricks. Sometimes you just get a little brick. Sometimes you just get a little shim that you're just going to stick in to kind of level something out. Just something little. But every time you hear God's word, you are given something. You're given building materials. The question is, what are we going to do with those materials? What have we done with the bricks? There are a lot of people that go to church that have a lot of bricks stored up in their Bible, right? They just take notes, they put it in their Bible, and they leave it there. Sometimes they put uh, their notes in the car, and they just have a lot of bricks being stored up in their car. Are you using the bricks that you are given by God's Word every Sunday and building on the Word of God? Are you doing what God tells you to do? Based on this message... I think it would be wise for us to ask that question every week. And that's why we're going to, in Family Bible Hour, starting next week, we're going to start doing sermon discussion questions to ask, how do we apply the truths that we've been given? We're going to look back last Sunday and and figure out, how do we apply these truths? John Stott says it this way, the Bible is a dangerous book to read. The church is a dangerous society to join. For in reading the Bible... We hear the words of Christ, and in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. And as a result, we belong to the company described by Jesus as both hearing his teaching and calling him Lord. Our membership, therefore, lays upon us the serious responsibility of ensuring that what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. So I think one application of this message is just go back and look at your foundation. Go back and give it a good look today. Are you hearing the word and doing it? You are all hearing the word, but are you building? If your life is all hearing and talking, but not doing, you have reason to wonder if you even have a foundation at all. If your heart's first inclination is to say, Jesus, what would you have me do? I want to do it. I want to live this out. My will is dead. Your will is what's living in me then you have reason to see you have a foundation that's growing, that's solid, and you're building on it. There is serious judgment in these words, but there's also hope and forgiveness. 
The storm of God's judgment has not come yet. There's an invitation here to repent and to believe. You have time. So as we end this sermon and as we end this entire series, I think there are three questions that we need to ask our own souls. We need to ask our own hearts. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, you know what, I I don't want to be a false believer. I want to profess Christ as Lord and really mean it. What does that look like? Maybe you're looking at your external saying, man, I'm struggling with things. How do I change? What do I need to do? Three questions. Number one, do you long to do everything God has commanded you? Do you long to do it? Start there. It starts at the affection level. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22 says, anyone who does not love Christ will be accursed, will be separated from him for all of eternity. Not anyone who does not do what God says. Why? Because Paul knows, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you're not keeping his commandments, it's because you don't love him. So the first place to start is not, what do I need to do? The first place to start is, how do I feel about Christ? Do I love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you long to obey him? Does it eat you up inside when you don't obey him? Do you hate your sin with a passion that you will do anything that it takes to get rid of it? And do you love Jesus with a passion that you will do anything that it takes to live for him? Number two, do you see yourself as a beggar? So number one, do you long to do what Jesus has commanded? Number two, do you see yourself as a beggar? That's where it starts. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In fact, turn there just briefly. Turn back a couple chapters. If you, if you hear these words today and you're wondering, what do I need to do? Maybe I'm not building on the rock. What should I do? Here's the steps that you should take. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are bankrupt in your soul. You have nothing to offer God, and God gives you his entire kingdom. Verse 4, you mourn over your sin, and you're comforted because Jesus sees you mourning and applies grace. You're gentle. You can't be harsh anymore. You're gentle. You are under the power of God, and his will is going to work through you. And you inherit the earth. You hunger and you thirst now for righteousness. You hated righteousness and now you love it. You loved sin and now you hate it. And you're satisfied as you live out obedience. And then, since you are saved, you are merciful with others. You are pure in heart and you are a peacemaker. And you will be persecuted for doing what God tells you to do. That's the, those are the steps that we need to take. So do you long to do what God has commanded? Do you come as a beggar to to Jesus? I have nothing to offer you, and I need you to be my foundation. And finally, do you trust Jesus? Third and final question, do you trust Jesus? Matthew 1, verse 21, Jesus was named Jesus because his name means Yahweh saves. He will rescue his people from their sins. Jesus was destroyed in that final storm that's going to come and destroy the foolish man's house and the storm that's going to come and destroy, attempt to destroy the wise man's building, but it won't. Jesus was destroyed in that storm, the storm of God's wrath. He experienced hell on the cross such that you and I would never have to experience it. And now he always protects us from that storm. So do you treasure him? Do you turn to him? And do you trust in him? How do you hear? How do you hear the word of God? Will it be said of you that while hearing you heard and acted or while hearing you didn't hear? Because the reality is this morning and every time we gather together, if you profess to know Jesus, 
You are either a wise man building on his words and obeying them, or a fool trusting in your own righteousness to get to God. Father, we recognize that we do not want to be fools. We recognize the severity of the judgment that comes. And so we want to proclaim this morning, we, we build on Christ. We build on His works. We build on His words. And we build on Him as our cornerstone. So God, I pray that this morning, together with one voice, as we preach to our own hearts the message that we have just heard, that we would build on nothing else but Jesus and His blood and His righteousness. And that we would leave this place applying the truths that we have heard this morning. Putting that brick in its place and building this house. For your glory and your name we pray. Amen.